0: Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: So Vic, do you think you might have ADHD? Well, listeners
2: keep emailing me telling me that they think I do, so probably.
1: Mind you, listeners also email us saying we talk too much about your mum's feet. So what do they know?
2: Yeah, fair enough.
1: I honestly had no idea about the connection between overdrinking and ADHD until we started this podcast.
2: About 40% of people that have had any sort of drinking issues also apparently have ADHD.
1: Whenever we chat to ex-drinkers, this comes up more than you'd believe. If you have ADHD or suspect you might, or just want to learn about this link, then we would encourage you to check out the I Have ADHD podcast.
2: It's the place where adults with ADHD find research-based information,
1: validation and tons of support. This is the best way to feel less alone and hear some of the answers to the questions you've been sitting with for too long. You'll hear detailed descriptions of what it means to have ADHD and enjoy interviews with the foremost experts in the industry so that you don't have to read those ADHD books that are collecting dust on your shelf.
2: Yeah. Listen to the I Have ADHD podcast and learn how ADHD affects every aspect of your
1: life – from the boardroom to the bedroom. In the podcast, you'll also hear about their ADHD coaching program, which is called Focused. Focused is made up of three pillars, courses, coaching and community. It is designed to help you build your own self-improvement program and is perfect for the ADHD brain.
2: And you can get $50 off the course just by using the code SOBER, S-O-B-E-R. So if you're tired of feeling stuck and don't know where to start, listen to the I Have ADHD podcast.
1: Vic, what are you doing on the 27th of April?
2: I'm busy, Hamish.
1: Oh, what are you doing?
2: I'm going to be part of this sober, awkward live show.
1: Of course you are. Can I come?
2: Mm, no. Oh. No, actually, you are invited. You are part of the show. we probably better get rehearsing, actually.
1: That's a good point. It's going to be an absolute shit fight. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's actually sold out. What? Yeah, so exciting. But the good news is that you can now go on to our cuppa community and buy tickets to the live stream. They're just 10 bucks.
1: See you there. So some of you might know that Vic and I recently went sugar-free together. I did a post on Kappa with a sort of photograph of my supermarket trolley that was full of really healthy, quite dull stuff like quinoa and chia seeds. And people got really excited and said, you know what? We have been replacing one addiction with another. We're also going to go sugar-free. So yesterday I spent cooking for you, Vic, really. Oh,
3: that's very sweet. Isn't it? So yeah. I brought
1: in three different sugar-free treats Excellent. for you to try. I don't know if this is going to make very dull podcast material or if people are going to be into the sound of you eating.
2: Okay, yeah, that is that, a thing. That
1: is a thing, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so the first one you've got there, that's the mm. Raspberry Ripple. That's a mm. little frozen one.
2: Oh, that's really nice. Oh, nice. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that, that. tastes just like a normal chocolate.
1: That's exactly it. Okay, okay. so that's gone down all right. The mm. second one, that is a cheese biscuit.
2: Mm. It smells a little bit like cheesy feet.
1: Well, it is cheese. It
2: smells a bit like old man's pants. Not that I know what old man's pants <laughs> okay. smell like. Um, that's a bit dry and a bit dense, but oh. I appreciate the effort you've put into making that oh, small disc oh, that of is flaky disc. That,
1: that's like the teacher giving the kid full marks for effort when he's done a really bad bit of work.
2: What's this one? This, look this also, my, also looks like a cow
1: turd. Yeah, that is my version of the Reese's Pieces. That is a peanut sugar, peanut mm. butter Chocolate treat.
2: Normally, anything with peanuts in is a go for me. But that, I mean, it's very dry. Oh no.
1: I've <laughs> My mouth, ruined the I rule. can't
2: speak. My mouth has dried out. I can understand where you were going with that, but you might need to try that recipe again.
1: <laughs> is this just you wanting me to cook and give you snacks on the podcast no, more I don't, often?
2: No, I don't actually, because I know that you had food poisoning last week <laughs> after you cooked lunch for your wife. So no, I don't think you should use me as your guinea pig as often as you'd like. Yeah, Liz, I haven't
1: tried these. This is just for you first and then we'll gauge it. <laughs> yeah,
2: just see if I get food poisoning and then test it on your wife. Are you Are going to
1: take those back to the fridge yeah, then? I'm taking okay. them back to the fridge. You don't appreciate it. Okay.
2: Oh, he's off. He's gone. I'm going to actually pretend to him that I've done really well on my sugar intake. But actually, I did really badly this week. But I'm going to keep that secret. I actually went on a walk yesterday and stopped at the IGA and bought myself a massive bag of chocolates and stuffed them in my face in the car. Anyway, he's coming back. Yes. Yeah, so thank you for those, Hamish. They so really were yummy. I'm doing really well on my... Are you? Yes, really well. I haven't had any sugar for a week since we last met. Oh. It is a
1: total success. I'm feeling... Complete smugness about it. Oh. You know how you get smug in early sobriety? I'm feeling that tenfold in sugar sobriety. Sugar sobriety. Sugar we sobriety. Call yeah, I guess we call it. that. We're going to do a whole other podcast series on sugar. sugar. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Uh, something in like give the fruck up.
2: <laughs> I reckon there's something in that. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. Give give it the fruck up.
1: Give the fruck up. Mm, Fructose. Yep. We'll work on you're that. Wondering. Look at
2: my sheet. I've got. Chocolatey fingers all over my white papers. So
1: what are we talking about today?
2: Well, today we've done our sugar episode. Today we're having a difficult conversation, Hamish. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking about getting sober and living with a partner that still drinks. This is a topic that is emailed to us all the time and discussed on our cuppa community. The subject line is always the same. Help. My partner
1: still drinks. Well, today we are here to help. We want to investigate how sobriety affects relationships, the resentment created when a loved one won't address a drinking habit, if it's possible to help your partner quit, how to set a good example, and if they don't show interest in change, how do you accept it or do you just end it there? Gosh,
2: yeah, it's big topic, Hamish, because it's quite harsh, some of it. Yeah. And I must say, in this episode, we just want to put a disclaimer out there that luckily Hamish and I, as we will talk about later, have had quite good responses to our sobriety from our life partners. So we're just going to give you our opinion on this, and then we've collated the opinions of others. We've put the questions out there to our communities to find out what's been going on with them. Today, Hamish, we're asking the big questions. Do relationships in which one person is sober and the other is a problem drinker ever survive? If so, how? We hope by the end of this episode, you will have less resentment and understand why it's important to have good communication and why you should keep your eyes on your own paper.
1: Let's start by telling you about how this has worked out in our own family dynamics. We both had positive relationship outcomes from going sober. Our partners respect our choices, but that is not always how this one plays out. It certainly is not.
2: I gave you a task this week, didn't I, Hamish? Apart from not eating sugar, I gave you a separate task. But you did. You
1: set me homework. I did. Which is, this is beginning to feel more like work and less like fun. (laughs) That's always my aim. Yeah, you always want to be my teacher and I have to be the student. Yeah, I don't yeah, like yeah. The, the power play Oh yeah, Where does it,
2: when does it change? Yeah. When do
1: you evolve? It's when you, when, you, when you ruffle my hair on my way out is what I don't <laughs> like.
2: Who's a cheeky little lad? <laughs> Stop squeezing
1: my <laughs> cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, my homework was that you asked me to ask Liz two questions. Now, bear in mind, I gave up as a non-problem drinker, so my situation would be slightly different to a lot of people listening. But the first question, you'll hear her voice. We've never had a four-voice podcast. We have this never had our partners voicer. on the podcast. Never. No. This is proof that they exist. This or we proof. just know people who've got voices that aren't ours. Yeah, we've just bought some actors she in. Wrote a script. Uh, so yeah, the first question that I asked Liz was what she thought about me giving up drinking.
0: So I guess in the beginning, to be honest, my first initial thought was oh no, (laughs) I think, yeah, if I'm completely honest, I think a lot of our relationship was going out and drinking with our friends all weekend, going out dancing and partying. And I'd thought, oh no, that's the end to having fun. How do we have fun together? But over the months, I, yeah, I love it. You know, we've sort of created new things that we like to do to spend time together and, you know, enjoy each other's company instead of going out drinking like cooking. She's found a new, found love for the kitchen and baking and and cooking. So that's something that we do together. Um, Obviously, we have a baby now. So, you know, creating memories like that instead of going out and getting wasted is better. So yeah, it took a while to get used to, if I'm completely honest.
1: And next up, I asked her how my sobriety has affected her own alcohol intake.
0: Well, the timing, I guess, was on our side because... When you gave up drinking, obviously, we had a newborn baby. I hadn't drank for 10 months because I was pregnant, obviously. I still have the occasional drink with friends. But, yeah, it's changed It's changed my outlook on drinking, the way that we talk about alcohol. You know, we have no alcohol in the house anymore. I feel like it's changed every everything. The way that we look at alcohol, I think it's quite inspirational and I think it's changing the way that a lot of people think about drinking.
1: You did the save for John, didn't you, Vic?
0: Yeah, I did.
2: Here's
1: what he had to say Right
2: Let's just welcome my husband John Into the Sober Awkward studio Hello John
3: Hey Victoria How are you?
2: Victoria Oh dear (laughs) I'm in trouble That's for sure Before I ask you the same questions As Hamish asked Liz I'm just going to ask you A different one Because I was obviously More of a problem drinker Than Hamish When I was having that huge anxiety after our first child was born, what did you think when I went out promising not to overdrink and then coming back absolutely plastered and having anxiety the next day? How come you didn't tell me to stop directly?
3: Well, we were thinking about that at the time. We were always talking about not going out drinking because of how it made you feel. It was always kind of going through that process of, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it, and then going out and coming back drunk again. So we were actively discussing it, but it was just so hard to actually break the cycle, I think.
2: Yeah, because I couldn't moderate. So therefore I'd go out with good intentions, and then I'd only want to have one, and then I'd have two, and then my anxiety would be gone and then I'd go mad. And then, of course, you were the only person that really saw me when I was hung over in bed, crippled by anxiety.
3: Yeah, I mean, and that's where I would just take George out. would go scooting in the rain or go for a walk down just to try and give you the space to recover and start feeling a bit better.
2: Isn't that awful, really, that I kept putting you through that? I apologise about that. Sorry, John. No, <laughs> I was drinking <laughs> too much. Don't watch it. You'll yeah. make
3: me cry if you carry on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> so must ask now, what did you think when I decided to give up drinking? When I came to you that morning, really hung over and said, I, I can't do this on my own. I need to get professional help. It's good.
3: It was all good. I mean, it was it, because we've been going through this cycle of talking about it but not actively achieving the goal so to actually sit down and go I need to get help how do we do that is amazing because that was an additional step forward I suppose it's just something new something different to try
2: and I guess you were surprised that I was just going to take a step that was kind of outside of myself because I'd been failing so long at stopping myself like you felt sort of what proud or concerned What, what were your feelings when I came in that morning
3: well, it's proud and, and happy that we're going to try and change things. You know, and We didn't consider it a problem drinking, so I think we've both gone through the phase of thinking... We can just stop at any time. It doesn't matter. I don't need help because I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not drinking bottles of vodka in the morning. But it wasn't working. So to actually have that solution of, you know, getting professional help and counselling was actually a really sensible thing to do.
2: Yeah, because it, it, it was a problem. Even though we say, like, I wasn't drinking vodka in the morning, it was a problem because I couldn't stop doing something that I hated. And as a looker-on, I guess it is concerning to see someone damaging themselves so much. And, you know, I used to sit in my bed, I always say this, this with my finger on my pulse thinking I was going to die it must have been quite quite alarming for you to see that how it how it affected my mental health so how has me getting sober affected your drinking
3: initially I suppose I was just drinking less even when I gave up well, six months ago, I was only really having four or five beers a week. Yeah, So I wasn't drinking that much. Just having a drink, I suppose, is what the...
2: Just because of habit more than anything else. John's never really been a problem drinker. It hasn't really affected him negatively or had impacts on his life. But now you've quit completely. I haven't said a word to you or asked him to quit or anything, but you have naturally come to a halt with your drinking. Why do you think that is? I wasn't enjoying it
3: anymore it just sort of came to a natural progression, natural end for me because I just didn't feel like I needed to put that in my body anymore.
2: And do you think being around someone who is changing and evolving around you does make you think, well, why am I doing this?
3: Oh, definitely, because you know, I hear and listen and, and talk to you and see what the, the science is, what's going on and how it's affecting people. So naturally that is a sort of a change, a mental change going on in me mm. whereby I can see that it's probably just drip-fed over time mm. And then one day, August, July, August, whenever yeah. it was, I just was like, well, I don't really need to drink that anymore.
2: Yeah. Well, well done. I'm very proud of you.
3: I'm proud of you, my darling.
2: Oh, don't you make me cry. You fuck off now. <laughs> <laughs> well done, John,
1: for love being... Love you, darling. Yeah, love
2: you. <laughs> Bye.
1: It's amazing how your sobriety has affected him in such a good way.
2: I know, it's amazing. I can't believe it, really. But there's part of me, my old drinking brain suddenly switches on when I think about him giving up drinking. And a bit like you, my old brain goes, well, if you didn't have a problem, why would you quit? But of course, that is everything I'm against. But for some reason in my brain, I still think, oh, John, you're a bit boring now. Yeah. I can't believe that booze bully still resides within me somewhere. So imagine what I'd be like if I was still drinking and he would quit. Yeah. I would be pissed off with him, you I reckon? can imagine. Yeah, definitely. I think I probably would have left him because I was so deep within my drinking habit. If my partner had stopped drinking, I'd just think, God, what's wrong with you? This is never going to work. So I can understand how these relationships get tetchy sure.
1: when somebody is still drinking. I think for sure when I was single, I've had the thought, there's no way I could date someone who was sober.
2: Yeah.
1: Because it plays such a role in like the icebreaking of a first date. And I just thought, God, I think I would, I think I would struggle.
2: Yeah, because I wouldn't have anything in common at that age, in my 20s, even in my teen years. I wouldn't have had anything in common with someone that didn't drink. And that's awful to say now. Mm. And I wouldn't have gone near anyone that didn't drink because I thought, well, they're not like me, so therefore we're not going to get on. Mm -hmm. Part of me still feels that, even though of course I know it's better that he doesn't drink and I'm so happy about it. That outweighs all of that. But there's this little inkling inside my brain that goes, oh, you know, come on, you're boring.
1: Yeah, let's face it. We're lucky and our partners can see the positives of us ditching the booze. It seems it's not only made them think about their own habits, but also makes them more gracious towards our choices. This, of course, is not always the case.
2: No, unfortunately not. Let's talk about the loss of a drinking buddy and the problem of drinking being the only thing you have in common, exactly like we just said. How did you meet Liz Hamish? Was booze involved in that one?
1: Yeah, massively. Right. So we both were off the back of fairly painful breakups and we were partying our way through it. Okay. So we met at the start. I think she says it in her answer. We met at the start of party time. I don't know what would have happened if we, if one or both of us had been sober. It would have been a very different story. Whether or not it ended with us being married and having kids, I'm not 100% sure. I think that because we drunk a lot during those early stages, I sort of look back at it as we got away with it.
3: Mm. Like we
1: got away with the fact that everything worked out in the end. Because it's pretty volatile. It is volatile. If both of you drink a lot, it can be more arguments. Also, everyone, I think, has got people that they only have memories of getting drunk with. And then on a morning when you're feeling good about yourself and not want to drink, you're like, well, I can't meet up with them. Because every time I meet up with them, we get plastered. Hmm. So you sort of cut them out of your life. So I think we did get away with it and we could easily not have done
2: but also because you don't know whether you're going to like that person sober. So then you've been drinking together for all these years when you're in the early stages of a relationship. And then you have to get to know someone without alcohol in them. And after all that's happened, all that parting, you find that actually you might not like that person. Yeah. You only like the fun side of them. And suddenly you've got to deal with a serious side of them. And that changes things.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Do you think Liz feels like she's lost a drinking buddy?
1: that's definitely how she feels. But I think over time, she's realised that that's not necessarily a bad thing. When people say to me, are oh, you giving up for a year? And I go, well, I don't know. I don't think I'll stop at a year. I think I'll carry on. She's always like, oh, hang on. I did not sign up for that. That's <laughs> like a joke we always say. And I guess there is an element of truth in it because I, I didn't have a problem. You and I went for a walk and I came back and I said, Liz, I'm, I'm going to be sober now. She had no forewarning, you know. <laughs> I should just get dumped in it.
2: I do feel guilty about that. <laughs> A little bit. I feel like I've taken her drinking buddy away a little bit. But I know that that is your choice and I can't take responsibility for that. Like I asked you to come in here so that we could see the journey of a normal drinker. Mm. And I gave you the opportunity to say no. But you said yes. But I do feel with Liz, like maybe she's like, God, that bloody Vicky. She's made my husband boring. (laughs) Of course, Amy, is not boring. That's
1: the whole point. (laughs) I think she looks at it as the cost that we both pay for the podcast she's like the podcast is obviously like a good thing that you should be doing with your life you have got to give up alcohol for it i have to like live with you being sober for uh, the amount of time that we do it for but like for the greater good of the podcast which could help people that's both the price that we'll pay i think that's how she now oh, looks good at on it. her! she's doing a public service she is yeah, yeah. But I think at the same time as that, it's made her more aware of alcohol in society. Like she's She sees it a lot. She sees what we see, even though she still drinks a bit. She's like, God, it's wild how much it comes up. Like It's wild how much sobriety has been to- spoken about at the moment. It's wild how much you see it on TV or films or how even politicians normalise like Barack Obama having a Guinness in Dublin. you know, yeah. Whatever it is, yeah, she, yeah. she sees it through our eyes yes. now. She sees the bad side of it.
2: Okay, which is exactly what's happened with John. I think
1: John's just further down the line. Further down the
2: line. Was was John your main drinking partner? We met when we were drunk and we went out drinking on our first date. Mm -hmm. But our relationship was the first relationship I've ever had that was not completely drenched in booze. Mm -hmm. We had gone on dates in the morning. In fact, our first ever lunch together was a lunch without alcohol involved. And I think that was the only time I'd ever gone on a date where alcohol was not on the menu. So... I knew at that point I wanted to change a little bit and that the relationships that I was having that were based around alcohol weren't working and I knew I was looking for something else. I didn't know that alcohol was the basis of that, but actually I realised now that that's what it was. I was looking for somebody more stable that didn't drink as much as I drank. So I think I was subliminally
1: mm. searching that out. I'm surprised that you didn't drink at that lunch.
2: I think I was trying to put forward a different image of myself mm. at that point. I'd made a mental decision to come across as more I don't know what's the word responsible grown up. Yeah, more responsible. I'd wanted wife to come material. Yeah, I wanted to come <laughs> yeah. across as wife material yeah. and childbearing material, not some bloody drunk that I'd been for all these years. Yeah. And we had kids very soon after we met um, and I stayed with him because I could see within him that I could possibly have a life that wasn't just a massive piss up.
1: Yeah. Have you been in relationships in the past with people that drank more than you? Have, you? have you been through that cycle of going, oh, God, it's another piss up person?
2: I always went out with people who either drank equally to me or more than me. Right. Um, of course, my Thai boyfriend was an example of the more than. His drinking made him a bit angry and it scared me sometimes and I would try and get him to slow down. He used to drink that rice wine that they make in that that local brew and it used to be quite frightening because his eyes would go red and I knew that he was in a blackout and didn't know what he was doing. And that did scare me, but I felt like I couldn't ask him to stop because I was still drinking. Mm. So I was in a sort of hypocritical land where if I said to him, please slow down it didn't seem like the right thing to do because I was the one still sat at the bar with a, you know, a bottle of sang whiskey. Like, where's the line
1: drawn well, there? I think a lot of people listening to this episode will be in that position. Yeah. So I think people listening to this episode, some will be sober with a partner that still drinks or they'll both drink and one will be concerned about the other one drinking too much.
2: Yeah, and that's difficult, isn't it's it? It's
1: difficult because, yeah, do you just both go sober? Yeah. Because it's a lot easier to just both go sober. It would be, than yeah. Than to it- sort of stand on your high horse and tell them to cut down when you're drinking.
2: Yeah, very, very hard. Put yourself in a difficult position if you are still drinking. I mean, I left him in the end because I knew that he would never quit and his problem was much, much deeper than mine. I did point the finger at him at various stages when he was over drinking. The stub. Uh, Yeah, the stump. I pointed (laughs) the stump and cursed him with my stump. But I just knew he didn't want to listen. And also he was like that before he met me. So part of me thought, well, I can't. He's always been like Mm. this. I'm not going to change him and I'm not going to try and change him. It's up to him. Even though I wanted him to change, I didn't feel it was my responsibility to take that on. Mm. Um, I knew that he had to make that decision himself unfortunately he died last year from alcohol related illness yeah in fact when I went to Thailand there were four missing faces from people that I used to know all of them from alcohol related (sighs) deaths Um, it was very ingrained in the Thai culture to drink and to if you have enough money you buy a bottle of whiskey to share it with your mates especially Mm. in the male culture the women don't really drink it's kind of a show of wealth and and prosperity to buy to buy a drink for your friends and it wasn't a sustainable lifetime I left he stayed on running bars and everything like he did and unfortunately he did pass away last year I'm glad I left that life because I think I would have gone down the same road there was no consequences to drinking because you just opened up the bar the next day and you carried on but it definitely had negative effects on our relationship We were always arguing He was always drunk I was mm. always drunk It was just It was a mess really it wasn't, it wasn't a fun relationship To be in He was a lovely guy He had a good heart Like most people do But the alcohol Really took yeah. something Away from him and, and made him Quite angry sometimes If you would like to support The Sober Awkward podcast We're excited to announce That we've joined Patreon Patreon is a membership platform Which allows you to give back For the
1: content you love By buying Sober Awkward a cuppa once a month, we can keep the giggles coming and continue sharing our sobriety message.
2: By joining Patreon, you get access to Sober Awkward merch, extra content, special promos and loads more. Just find the link in the show notes or head to patreon.com and search for Sober Awkward.
1: And together we could learn how to feel the awkward and do it anyway.
2: Hamish, have you ever had a relationship in which one person drank too much?
1: Well, no, game Ham has not had a lot of relationships. Yes, Vic, as you well know. So I only really had one before my current one, um, and she—current well, one makes it sound like it's yeah, yeah, it my end soon. My current wife. Yeah,
2: well, she better play her cards <laughs> right, and <didn't> she?
1: <laughs> so yeah, I only really had one relationship before she was like a mega lightweight. So actually she probably drank less than me, but got drunker. Okay. Um, if that makes sense. So, although when I first met, like I said, when I first met Liz, we were both drinking heavily. And I think because of that, so Liz and I, our anniversary, the day we started going out was June 30th. And I suggested that we both do dry July that year. So like the Day one of our relationship was both of us giving up drinking.
2: But wait a second, I'm going to pause you there. Yeah. Isn't that funny, Hamish, how we call you the normal drinker and we're mm. like, oh, yes, he can take it and leave it. And But the first day of your relationship with somebody who you drank with, mm. you want to do Dry July. Was that because you wanted to experience a real relationship rather than one that was just th- drowning think, in alcohol? I
1: think so. And I think I thought... She parties too much. I thought, well, I first, okay, I wrote this in my wedding. Okay, this
2: is interesting. So you went, ha ha ha, let's do Dry July. Won't it be fun? Thinking, actually, I think she parties too much.
1: Yeah. So I was doing it for her, really.
2: Oh, God, that's interesting. Does she know
1: this? Yeah, she knows this. My my first impression of her was, I say it in my wedding speech, which I'll tell you in a second. Remember, I did that poem. Yeah. And my first impression was that she's obviously like wild and great fun, but you, you don't marry the wild, great fun one. Right? No. So I said in my wedding speech, I said, I remember thinking this Liz girl is fun, but is she the one? Can I see her wiping the bum of my son? Oh, yes. So that was, that, my, that was my first thoughts. So Why I thought let's both do Dry July. And it was probably that situation we spoke about. I was like, well, I can't tell her to do it. But if we both do it, then it's sort of okay.
2: I guess it's a good test as well to work out if somebody can give up alcohol the next day. Mm. If they're a real over-drinker or an alcoholic, because most people wouldn't. Yeah. And also I would have just, if that would me, I'd just go, oh, fuck off, mate. I'm, well, we
1: weren't even living together. Don't i not tell me I what was to I was living do. on a farm in, in the middle of nowhere and she was in Sydney. So I don't actually see her a lot that month that That's, we gave it's up. That's crazy. Well, it yeah. shows you
2: were meant to be together. I guess you knew quite early on because you were both of a sane mind.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's a, I think it's a good test. because yeah, although, although I've not been in relationships with people that have drunk more, I've definitely had these flings which have like carried on. Just one of you's drunk and then you end up hooking up with the other one. Yeah. And they fizzle. You know, like yeah. inevitably they fizzle because at some point you've got to have a serious conversation and take take it to the next step. Yeah. Um, so I think I can relate to that. Like I understand people being in relationships with people and it just lasts forever and you just get hammered all the time. Yeah. And eventually there's a day when you're like, sit with them at breakfast sober and goes, I have got nothing to say to this person. Yeah,
2: I don't know anything about them. Yeah. All we do is drink together. This is what our relationship is based on. And I think a hell of a lot of relationships are based upon alcohol. One of my first boyfriends I had, a lovely brummy guy that I went out with for years, I met him on a night out and we ended up going out for two years mm. and we never really knew each other. I mean, we got on really well, but we our, the beginning of our relationship was solely based on these couples of nights Nights out that we had per week where we were Mm. drinking, and the rest of the time our lives are going on with each other. We live together, but we're kind of just planning for the next time we can connect, which was going out drinking. Yeah,
1: and it's difficult to describe just how men, how. Mundane life is when you're married with young kids that you yeah. need to have a strong bond yeah. to get through It's very, very easy to get on with someone when you're both drunk. Yeah. Very easy. But can you get on when you are staying inside, cleaning yep. up poo whilst the other one does the dishes? I
2: guess this is why exactly why marriages fall apart yep. sometimes when alcohol is out of the equation mm-hmm. because suddenly you have to deal with the reality of the relationship. So let's put ourselves in the shoes of the listeners. Those that have emailed us, given up drinking and have a partner that just can't fathom it. I've created a list from all of the emails we received.
1: Yeah, so this is a list of how people feel, right? So as a sober person with a partner still drinking, people talk about feeling triggered. They don't want to be around it. They don't love you enough to stop. They begin to feel resentment, scared. They, They ask questions to themselves like, was alcohol all we had in common? They feel unseen and unheard. And often we get people saying that they feel like they want to punish them. It makes them want to drink just to spite them. And so obviously it can affect your own sobriety. There are lots of raw and confronting emotions towards that drinking partner.
2: Yes, I can feel that resentment. Like even within me, I, I would imagine how that would feel. Um, and I felt that with that Thai boyfriend. It's like, why can't you stop? You can see that this is ruining everything. What's wrong with you? Yeah. If you're the person still drinking, you might feel like you've lost your best mate. You don't think you really have a problem and you are really annoyed that you have to drink alone now. Also, your sober partner is probably forcing you to secretly question why you keep drinking and that's probably making you drink more. Basically, their sobriety is making your drinking
1: difficult and it can feel like a real betrayal. So you can hear from this why there'll be problems if one person is still drinking. It causes resentment and disappointment on both sides of the relationship.
2: Yet giving up alcohol throws a spanner in the works. Love means you both want to be on the same page, but the presence of alcohol causes massive friction. So are these fractious relationships salvageable? When two people are on two very different paths, can it ever work?
1: I think it's a good question. I'm sure lots of people will be asking it to themselves. I think... Basically, some are salvageable and some aren't. Hmm. It depends how deep the hurt and how likely it is that you can reach a place of understanding. But honestly, if you're sober and your partner drinks heavily, there's always this potential of tension.
2: Yeah. Even if you try and accept it and you do everything you can, yeah. there's always going to be a part of you just like, oh, please yeah. do this for me. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's yeah. going to be lingering there.
2: In sobriety, you start to really live and experience life and booze can make you stagnant. You might leave that person behind when sobriety works its magic on you. The person you are with, if they are drinking, won't be able to catch up, perhaps forever.
1: So let's hear from the couple members. How do they feel about partners that still drink?
2: Miranda said she left a relationship of six years, largely in part to alcohol being something that was such a big part of his life. She couldn't have it to be part of hers. Alcohol was the cause of many unremembered fights and hurtful things said. Sloppy conflicts within her family. It was really difficult and a shitty cycle to be
1: in. I've had so many drunk arguments with a partner I can't remember.
2: Yeah, you never really know how they start yeah, or what they're the never point about is. About anything, and all of those shows on TV, like those terrible like maths and and those like sort of Geordie Shore, mm. the arguments that they have on those, I always sit there thinking, you're arguing about nothing. Yeah. None of you even know what you're yeah, talking yeah. about. It's absolutely pointless, and they're fighting in the streets, and the girls are crying, and all of these things. <laughs> Nobody even knows what they're doing. Right. It's always alcohol related. None of them argue when they're sober.
1: I would say I've never had an argument sober, ever.
2: Really? That's no, amazing. No. always yeah.
1: drunk about pointless crap.
2: Yeah, it's stupid, isn't it?
1: Anyway, Mel said, I've never expected my husband to quit with me. He hasn't, and it's become very obvious to me how much his drinking is actually a problem. I absolutely resent what this habit is doing to him.
2: Gosh, yes. Yeah. So she's given up drinking, he's carried on, and she's realised that he does have a problem yeah. because she's now has more clarity and can see his actions and what's happening to him. That is an interesting And one. her
1: smugness will be irritating to him, for yes, sure. Yes,
2: yes, so two-sided. Mm. Ned says, I can say 100% that my ex-wife's drinking and my drinking were central to us ruining our marriage, plain and simple. So
1: sad, isn't it? Mm. Carly wrote to us and said, my husband still drinks and I'm starting to hate him. Every day I watch him as he opens another bottle, and I can't believe he's doing it in front of me. I feel like he's rubbing it in, teasing me. I have thoughts of leaving, but wonder if I will just meet someone else that does the same.
2: Of course, that is a chance. There's not many sober people around.
1: Yeah, join cup well, She's on Capper. Yeah, join Cup. I can yeah. set her up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, set her her up of sober men on Capper. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> but I say we'll just put all of these people together.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll sort it out after the show. <laughs> Steve-O says my wife drinks a lot. She loves me sober and knows I had to do it for my own health, but for some reason she still thinks it's okay for her to drink loads of wine with her friends most weekends. It makes me feel annoyed and she thinks it's normal because I was the one with the problem. She can't see the bigger picture or that it makes me feel uncomfortable. It's causing lots of arguments and I'm not sure what will happen. Yeah. So there's a bit of a decline there, isn't there, since
1: he's got sober. I can see that. Funnily enough, Liz always asks me if her drinking annoys me. She's like, Am I being disrespectful? Is it annoying that I'm doing it? Like she's super conscious of her drinking in front of me. And I'm like, Oh, you would have had the same when when John did drink. It doesn't faze me at all.
2: Well it's because they don't have a problem. Yeah. That's the difference. And I think here we're talking about people, their drinking Is a problem. The partner's drinking is a problem. Mm -hmm. I think being around people who who are are casual drinkers that have one or two occasionally where they don't cross a line and they don't feel like they need it, that wouldn't be triggering. But these people are with people who are over drinking and that's what's causing the problem. That's why
1: Liz and I have both given up sugar because I do have a problem with sugar. If she was still eating, if there were Snickers in the house, I'd be eating the Snickers. (laughs) Yes, so true. Dania wrote to us and said, I need help. I don't know what to do. I'm sober and love my sober life, yet my partner is a big drinker. I love him and he loves me. I used to think we were the perfect couple. We drank lots together and now I've stopped. We're drifting apart. Everything I say sounds like nagging. The more I try and approach the topic, the more he drinks. How can I help someone that does not want to be helped? I know he would be so much happier sober.
2: Yeah, so there's that feeling there. It's really heavy. It's like a really heavy feeling of I love you. And I want you to experience mm. what I'm experiencing in my sober life. And I want you to be part of this. But of course, it's just not as simple as that.
1: That's sort of the perfect example, that one. We get that one a lot. They're asking advice and there's, there's so little that we can offer to help. You know, yeah. What do you do with that situation? I, I don't know. I guess it's seeking therapy it's professional help it's it's you know it's so many people find themselves in this situation and it's heartbreaking
2: well this is why we get this email all the time people say what do i do help my partner still drinks and i find it very very difficult to answer so what we're going to come up with here is just a few ways that you can have this conversation with people and we'll find out later if there's any real action you can take yes so how do you help someone that is not ready
1: so Instead of nagging or feeling sad and resentful, what things can you do to help your partner see your side of the sober story? What are some practical ways of helping them rather than just stewing on it or arguing over it?
2: Oh, and stewing on it doesn't help, does it, either? Because then you're just going to get really angry with that yeah. person quietly on your own, and that's not good for that you. That would be
1: me, just passive-aggressively cleaning dishes. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Making lots of noise yeah, as you put yeah, forks yeah, away. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the first thing to do is have an honest chat. Don't go gun ho. This is a very provocative time for both parties and it might take a bit of preparation. Plan what you're going to say ahead of time. Write it down. What points do you
1: want to raise here? Right. Consider your timing. Choose a good and appropriate time to raise your concerns. This has to be a time when your partner is sober and in a good headspace.
2: Be sensitive and show empathy. Empathy means experiencing the world from the person's
1: perspective without judgment or criticism. Remember how you felt. Treat them like you would have wanted to be treated, with kindness and let go of the resentment you feel just for a moment. It's
2: hard. That is hard, isn't it?
1: Easier said than done. You've just
2: got to let it go. You've got to take a deep breath and just, you know, really let that resentment go for a moment. If you want to have a decent chat with someone. Mm. Avoid argument. Arguing, confronting, blaming, shaming and lecturing do not invite change. They invite resistance.
1: Tell them how it is affecting you and show your concern for them. Tell them you love them and that you want to help.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what John did to me. That's
1: the angle. Yeah. I want to help.
2: Yeah, I want to help and I'm trying to understand you. Tell them about your sobriety and why it makes you happy. They may be feeling shame, guilt and embarrassment about their drinking. Hearing that you felt the same at some point may help them confide in you and get some help themselves.
1: Don't use blaming or accusatory language such as you need to get help. You're messing things up. You need to change.
2: Yeah, that does not work. No. I mean, it, it feels tempting to do that, but mm-hmm. that isn't going to work. Instead, take a collaborative approach with phrases like, I'm here for you. I want to support you. I want to hear from you. I've noticed these things about you. These can make your partner feel less isolated and more convinced you want to help them.
1: Keep in mind your partner may not be ready to manage their addiction. Give them some time to sit with what you've said. Leave them with something like, let's talk about this again in a few days and see how we both feel then. I'd really like to work through this together.
2: I know at this point, Hamish, that if John had said to me in those moments when I was waking up with that terrible anxiety, you need to stop drinking, Mm -hmm. which he never once said, I would not have listened.
1: What did he say?
2: We just had ongoing conversations about it over many, many weeks about me trying to slow down and trying to just have one because it was never on my radar to stop drinking completely. I was always trying to learn how to moderate. So when I went out, I would say, yes, I'm going to try and do better. I don't want to have a hangover tomorrow because I've got to look after the kids. And then I would go out and I would completely fail. Mm. So then we'd have the conversation again. What can we do? What can we do to make this better? It was always the aim at moderation. But then, of course, when moderation fails for so long you have to confront the reason why it's failing which is what we did eventually and I think if he'd just said to me, "You've got to quit drinking," it was too harsh. Yeah. It was too strong words that I would have just backed off and gone, "No way," and perhaps never sought help because it had been someone else's decision and not mine. Yeah, and that's the importance of of having these conversations and keeping those lines of communication open about what is happening to you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so have those conversations over a long time. I guess that's a good that's a good piece of advice. Not too you know, long, really. You can't. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah, but you know. Someone can only give up when they're ready, yeah, totally. not when you want them to be ready. Yeah. So it might take some time.
2: Might take some time. If you've tried all of these already and it's not working, if these types of conversations just lead to your partner storming off and thinking you're a bit of a smug, sober twat, then there has to be another route, Hamish.
1: Yeah. The worry is all this confrontation might be affecting your own sobriety path. Living with an alcoholic can be extremely taxing on your own well-being. This is especially true in the case of an alcoholic husband or wife. So, the gentle conversation failed. What now? You can't force someone to give up drinking, can you? You can't actually.
2: It is so difficult to watch someone close to you suffer. However, remember that you cannot force someone to seek help. Treatment is a decision that your loved one will need to make on their own. Becoming overly invested in your partner's well-being may be defined as codependency, and this can be detrimental to your own mental health. So be careful and have boundaries in place. Don't let their drinking affect your sobriety.
1: Like keeps making me think of how an AA, on the films, an AA, you're not allowed to date someone from AA.
2: Yes, you're not allowed to. That's no, you're not rule. supposed to, yeah. yeah. Because it would create conflict, especially if one of them starts drinking. Mm-hmm. That is definitely going to make you think, oh, well, maybe I can have one too.
1: So Vic, what's the best way to influence someone you love going sober?
2: I think the answer is, Hamish, is to just be sober. That is where the true magic layeth, young Master Hamish.
1: You did say that your sobriety has had some good effects on your family, but not everything that you have done in your life has had good effects on your family. little story about your youngest son.
2: Well, yeah, Freddie has started saying the F word all the time. He's only four. (laughs) And I know that I probably say it. So my giving up drinking is definitely a good effect and had ripples throughout my family. Even my family in England, my sister-in-law, Claire, is now sober. And throughout the world with this podcast, there are some things in which I am still a terrible influence. And I swear quite a lot. (laughs) I'm going to stop now because it's obviously having detrimental effect on my four-year-old. But the other day my daughter was crying and he just walked past her and went stop fucking
1: crying oh I was going to say does he use it in a sense like does he use it well well? he
2: uses it very well so I almost want to just say well done that's quite good usage but obviously I have to well part of me doesn't want to pull him up on it and part of me is like well well, that's pretty good usage it is quite funny yeah and every time I say right Freddie it's time to go to bed he's got this phrase where he sounds like a kind of drunk old Irishman where he goes you're the worst fucking mother no (laughs) I don't know where he's got it from because I've never said that but they just all go through a bit of a sweary stage please don't judge me I'm doing my best to stop it um, but yeah I'm, I, I can still be a bad influence in other ways yeah
1: it's bad because <laughs> children swearing is always funny but if you yes. laugh then they do it more
2: yeah it's like that kid on the internet isn't it like that saying there's a uh, there's a fucking goat out there oh, seen yeah. it? I don't know why we're say it in an Irish accent the fucking
1: goat we need to put the yeah. fucking goat oh we'll share a, the a, fucking yeah, goat yeah, video yeah, that it's funny.
2: On. children swearing is funny let's face it I know. but it's probably 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 not good parenting.
1: That's fair. So, Vic, how does you just being sober help people?
2: It's essential that when you get sober and your partner doesn't want the same thing, that you keep your eyes on your own paper. By this, I mean you concentrate on you and you lead by example. Just by being sober and staying sober, this will be your secret weapon, your pièce de la résistance, your plat de jour and your tour de France, Amish. Just be
1: sober. And
2: they will
1: notice. Well, that's worked in your life. So even though John didn't have a problem with drinking, it took you being sober for five years until yep. he actually four, went sober four himself? Four and a half four years, and a half yeah. years. Yeah, yeah it so took a while. Can work, can work. Yep. So yeah, just keep doing you. Let them observe and they will catch on. Over time, they will absorb what you've done and they will make their own choice to stop. I've seen this happening a lot, and as the sober scene gains popularity, I hope this process will get quicker and easier for everyone. The more people that are leading by example, the better.
2: Yeah, and just society evolving a little when it comes to alcohol will help drinking partners self-reflect on their own habit. Things are changing, Hamish, so hopefully this conversation gets easier. I think we have a little caveat here, don't we, Hamish? The unfortunate thing is that sometimes none of the above works – Alcohol, of course, is a drug and the addiction is deep and it's hard to address and can go on for years. And for some people, it has to get really, really bad before things can possibly turn around. They might be in too deep. And your words are probably falling on deaf ears and your actions are ignored. What do you do when enough is enough? When do you choose you?
1: Yeah, this is pretty heavy stuff at this stage, Vic, but I guess... Everyone has got a breaking point. When is it time to relieve the relationship or the marriage with an alcoholic altogether is a tough question to ask.
2: There are so many reasons a person chooses to stay with an alcoholic, but it often boils down to fear. People may be fearful of living without their significant other or subjecting children to their parents' separation. Although the fear may be there, it's no reason to stay in a relationship which makes you unhappy or puts you in danger. Also, there's a funny thing that sobriety does. It gives you clarity. So you may be in a relationship for years and years that has never really worked like we talked about earlier. You may have had drinking as the only thing you had in common and then suddenly you're sober and you can see where the relationship's been going wrong because of the the clarity that your brain function is starting to work again gives you. Sobriety may reveal to you that an old relationship that you've just been staying in because it was easier, it might be that your sobriety teaches you to be brave enough to act on something that isn't working.
1: If your partner's committed to getting help and is ready to make a change, the best choice may be to stay with them and support them on their recovery journey. On the other hand, if you're stuck in an unhealthy relationship full of lies, arguments or abuse, or you've simply had enough of their desire to keep on the booze, it may be best to leave. This is especially true if you've given your significant other the opportunity to enter treatment, quit, shoved books under their nose and had endless serious chats, but they've continued to refuse or deny that there is a problem. Bit of tough love, eh, Avik.
2: Yeah, tough love, unfortunately, is sometimes the only thing that works. I think there comes a point when you have to choose your sobriety as well. Choose you because you deserve to be happy. Just remember that. You deserve to live your full sober life. And if someone is trying to destroy that and will not budge when it comes to booze, you may have to consider making some pretty tough choices.
1: Yeah, this was a hard hitting episode today, Vic. I'm so grateful to both Liz and John for understanding why we chose this path. I can't imagine what it would be like to have a partner struggle with alcohol and feel like there's nothing you can do to help. It must feel stressful. Don't forget, if you want to chat about this topic, just go on cuppa, find others that are going through this difficult time too, and try to get some professional input. It's always great to get another point of view so the responsibility is not all on you. See a doctor, a therapist, have some joint counselling.
2: Yeah, I think, Hamish, in this podcast, we've tried to cover every possibility here, and Whatever works for you is the right thing to do. You've got to try and make yourself feel happy. And if, if that partner isn't making you feel happy any anymore, it's time to address it. There are lots of routes to take nowadays. You know, doing your research and, and finding out about this online is a really good place to start once the conversation is started as well. Talking about this and seeking support will help you decide what is best for you and your partner. We hope, of course we do, that you make it through this confronting time. We'd actually love to hear some stories about couples that have given up drinking together and see how that yeah. works. Like, is that the same result? Does everybody get happy or does everybody get resentful? We don't know. So just email us at vicandhamish@soberawkward.com. at Our quote for the day is, the world is changed by your example not your opinion. Lovely. Yeah. So don't go saying you've got to give up. You've got to do this. You've got to do that just because you've done it. It's not going to work. You've got to take it slow and have some deep and meaningfuls here. Haven't you, Haim? Yeah.
1: I've actually just thought of one more way that, you can, that could work. Go on. Is if you play all of our podcasts under their pillow, put yes. the phone under the pillow when they're asleep and then just subliminally, it will drip in. Yeah. I don't know if that works, but well, there actually, is in that. it's funny
2: you say that, Hamish. Like when people ask me this question, I say, "Give them the Sober Awkward podcast. Listen to it from the beginning mm. because all of the information is in there. Everything that you need to do and your partner needs to do is in one of those podcasts somewhere. It's like a little treasure trove.
1: Yeah, yeah. let us have the difficult conversation with your partner so you don't have to.
2: Exactly. Yeah, just slip them the Sober Awkward podcast. It's there only you
1: go. Sixty hours to catch up on. Yeah, yeah so I could do <laughs> Probably that. Probably more than that now, isn't it?
2: Yeah,
1: dear oh dear,
2: it's all there, it's all there. Listen to it, It's and it's really good. I think it's quite good, don't you? I like it. It's the best podcast I've ever listened to.
1: Yeah, I've listened to every episode.
2: I really like that girl on it, uh, Lucy. I don't like the guy. No, no, no. <laughs> someone said, someone actually. I'll tell you this very quickly. My, I saw my mum yesterday, and she said, "Oh, I saw, I saw my friend who loves your podcast." She said, "But she really, really misses Lucy." Yeah, I said, "Poor." Hamish, you can't say that.
1: I'm glad they said it to you and not I me. I said,
2: what can I do about that? I said, Lucy's not here anymore. I can't do anything about it. I had to get, I had to get Hamish on board. It was last resort, I realised. <laughs> actually, I did have a lovely day with Lucy the other day and she's doing really well. She's had a, a big trip over to England and had a sober Christmas with her family and, and actually had a good Christmas because you know Lucy yes. hates Christmas, but she actually had a lovely time. So she sends her love.
1: I reckon we do one with her every year. We did the Christmas special last year. I yeah. we have another check-in with her soon.
2: Yeah, she just had her birthday. And I think her sober anniversary... I think she's over two years now, which is amazing, yeah. So hello, Lucy, if you're listening. No, she's not. No, she's not. She Ah, hates us.
1: She taps out the minute she steps away. She did not like you either.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support.
1: Yeah, just talk to a mate about how you're feeling, contact a local doctor, find an AA or sobriety group. Fix has got one.
2: Yeah, just head to
1: www.cuppa.community. Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support.
2: Even though this journey can be awkward, it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it, and share it with your mates. Do they have to share it with their mates. Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, hey Miss Bloody hell! Have to share it. With I don't know. Just write it on. Search Therapy Works now wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.